All right, good morning, everybody. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, uh, my name is Gareth, and um, I serve on the team that leads Common Ground Durbanville. Uh, and we are continuing our series, Living in Babylon, uh, which is a kind of interesting title because we live in Cape Town. Uh, but what Peter, as we go through one Peter, wants us to realize is that wherever we're living, if we're followers of Jesus, we are strangers and exiles because we've been awakened to the reality of God's kingdom. And what we experience here is insufficient. It is defective. It is not what we were made for. It is not what we are called to. And so we experience this tension of living in the here and now. And yet, as Anthony said, at the same time, our response to that tension should not be to withdraw, but rather to engage as we are oriented towards our true home. We're pointing other people there. So we're engaging with our community. We're engaging with people and sharing with them the reality of Jesus. Paul is writing to a people that are in a persecuted state. They are being ostracized socially. They've been verbally abused. They've been economically disempowered. Some of them are being arrested because they follow Jesus. And so Peter wants to teach them how to have the maximum amount of peace in the situation as well as the maximum amount of potency for the mission that they've been sent on sharing the good news of Jesus. And so starting in two weeks' time, we're going to begin looking at how do we have both peace and potency when civil authorities are opposed to the way of Jesus, when perhaps your employer is opposed to the way of Jesus, perhaps even your spouse is not a follower of Jesus. How in those situations do you have both the maximum amount of peace because you will face opposition as well as the maximum amount of potency? But before we get there, we're spending this week and next week with Peter looking at our identity. Because the reality is if, that we, if we're going to stand firm, pointing towards our true home while everybody else in the world is headed in the opposite direction, we need to know who we are and we need to know who we are standing with. Next week, we're going to see our identity in relationship to God. Some of the things that Anthony mentioned now that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a people for his own possession. We're gonna talk about our identity in relationship to God. Before he even gets there, Peter talks about our identity in relation to one another. And the big idea this morning is that we must grow in brotherly love, grow in sisterly love, grow in sibling love. If we're going to stand firm, we're going to have to have family, not just community, not just friends. We're going to have to have brothers and sisters that we link arms with so that we can stand firm in the grace that God gives to us. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, say it with me, brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, quote, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. End the quote from Isaiah 40. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we submit our lives to you in worship, in your mission, and to your word. Won't you come and speak to us this morning? Won't you pour out your spirit on my lips and our ears and our hearts so that we practically respond to you, orient our lives around you, live differently because of you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What I see when I read this passage is this idea of growth. Peter talks about a seed that lasts versus flowers that fade. He talks about growing like a baby. There's this idea of growth throughout this passage, growing in brotherly love. And the first thing we see is that we must grow according to the soil in which we have been planted. He says, having something that has already taken place, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. If you are a follower of Jesus, something has taken place. Your soul has been purified by your obedience to the truth. The truth that Jesus was God himself, come to live the life we, we should have lived, died the death we should have died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he was Killed, buried on the third day, he rose again. He resurrected into heaven from where he rules and reigns and calls all people to the obedience of the truth, the truth that we have responded to, that has purified our lives when we were born again by God's imperishable word. And one of the things that that produces is for brotherly love. This is the soil that we have been planted into. And having been planted into the soil of brotherly love by our obedience to the truth that purified our souls through the enduring word of God, what are we to do? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Grow according to the soil in which you have been placed. You know, back in the 60s and the 70s, there was this thing where in church you would like greet someone and say, morning brother, good to see you. Oh, so good to see you, sister. And I can see your kind of little smiles and almost little giggles because it, it kind of sounds a little bit cheesy, right? But I wonder if we've lost something. You know, we talk about the importance of community. I wonder if maybe in trying not to be 1970s cheesy, Good morning, brothers and sisters. If we haven't actually lost something, which is the reality that we are brothers and sisters, that we have been born again into a new family with God as our Father, and Jesus is our big brother who makes a way and shows us the way, and we are brothers and sisters to one another. This is not just a community, this is a family. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you are my brother. You are my sister. And we need to grab a hold of that because there's a priority of sibling love that doesn't exist among acquaintances and doesn't even exist among friends. We can have great acquaintances, people where we inhabit the same spaces and we get to know them a little bit. You know, maybe this is people at work and we can have brilliant friends where we share common interests. But all of those things have a temporiness to them, a changeableness to them, whereas siblings are always siblings. Your brother is always your brother, no matter how bad things get, no matter how much you might be estranged, no matter how far you might be away from each other, there is a prioritization of your brother or your sister that doesn't exist in any other kind of relationship. And we are not just a community. We are brothers and sisters. And so we have to prioritize one another. We are not going to be able to stand firm in the grace of God if when push comes to shove and we are being shoved, we don't have a brother and sister to lock arms with. There's a prioritization of siblings. This also means that everyone who follows Jesus is our brother or sister. If you're here for the first time this morning, you are not a stranger you're a family member that we just haven't had the privilege of meeting yet. It's like maybe you've got some family overseas and they, and they have some babies and you don't see them for two or three years and then you have a family reunion and you meet new family members for the first time. It's not the same as meeting strangers, is it? There's a kinship, there's a bond. This is family. And so if you're here for the first time and you love Jesus and you serve him, welcome into this Family reunion into this gathering of family this morning. We prioritize one another. We prioritize each and every single member of the family. This means it's more than just the people you naturally gravitate towards. It's more than just the people that you like watching rugby with and eating biltong with, as great as that is. And we're going to do lots of that over the next couple of weeks. But we don't exclude family members. We don't just leave on the outside those whose life stage is a little bit different or who are going through difficult times or we don't quite understand or relate to where they are at. It's family. It's a prioritization and it is everybody. The other reality of the soil we've been planted into of brotherly love, of sibling love, is that we want the best for our family. See, here's the currency on which the world operates. The currency operates, the world operates on a currency of deficit. There's a limit to what there is to go around. And so if you're ahead of me, that means I'm behind you. And for me to prosper inevitably means that I have to take from somebody. It's so deeply ingrained in the world and it's so deeply ingrained in us that we just do it automatically without thinking about it. But family is not like that. Firstly, the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God doesn't operate on a currency of insufficiency. The kingdom of God operates on a currency of the overflow of God's love. For me to do well doesn't mean I've got to pull somebody else down. God is blessing all of his people. But secondly, when my brother does well, the family does well. When my sister does well, the family does well. I'm not falling behind if my brother does well 
No, the whole family is benefiting. And I want what is best for him. And if we want what is best for each other, if we're going to grow in the soil in which we have been planted for a sincere love for one another, well, it means we have to make space for that. We have to make space for our family in our lives. There has to be regular get-togethers of family. There has to be a growing in love for one another. That's what we see here. In order to grow in love with one another, we need to know each other. We need to get to know each other at a deeper level. We meet in life groups every week. Even that is probably not enough for what Peter is talking about here. Growing in sincere love for one another, wanting the best for each other. Scripture speaks all over of brothers and sisters opening their lives, being vulnerable, allowing grace to flow, and encouragement. In order to encourage, you need to know that somebody is discouraged. In order for grace to flow, you need to know where they lack grace. In order to meet needs, you need to know that there is a need there to be met. That only happens when we are engaged with each other's lives. And this is the soil that we have been planted into. We've been purified by the truth for brotherly love. We are family, not just community, not just church, although I don't like saying that. If somebody greets you on the way out and says, good to see you, brother, greet them back in the same way. It's not cheesy, guys. It's the reality that we have been called into. We have to grow according to the soil in which we've been planted. Secondly, we have to grow according to the seed that has been planted in us. The way this comes about is since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you've been reading through 1 Peter since we've started the series, and I would encourage you to do that, uh, my proposal to you on the best way to do that is there's five chapters of Peter, there's five days of the week. You read one chapter, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you read the whole thing on Saturday. And you might say, but Gareth, I'm trying to read through the whole Bible in a year. You know, that's great. You know what's better than reading through the whole Bible in a year? is internalizing Scripture to the point that it changes your life. So if you've been reading 1 Peter at all, you might have noticed that something Peter's doing over and over in the first chapter is he's highlighting how much better what we have in Jesus is than anything else in the world. We saw right at the start of the chapter that he has an inheritance for us that is imperishable, undefiled, unable to be shaken, bastioned, as Anthony said to us, in heaven. What Jesus has for us is far better than anything in the world. Maybe some of those people, maybe some people here have lost an inheritance because they've been disowned by family for following Jesus. Maybe there's economic opportunities you've had to pass up. Maybe there's business practices you've had to change. Employees you've had to pay more to and it feels like you are losing out and Peter wants you to know there is an inheritance in heaven that has been kept for you that so far surpasses earthly riches that can be taken away, that can fade, that can rust, that can be stolen, that have no permanency. 
They want you to know that even when you face difficult challenges and it feels like it would just be easier and actually the world would give you more prestige and honor and glory if you just did things their way, actually when you refuse to do things their way and your faith is being tested, it's being refined like gold. And if you've ever seen beautiful gold after it's been refined, that luster, that shine, that is insignificant compared to the praise and honor and glory that awaits on the day that Jesus is revealed because of the testing of your faith. And so if you think there's prestige and honor in doing things the world's way, you're missing the point. The prestige and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed through the testing of your faith far surpasses that. He writes to those who are slaves, and he says to them, you understand what it is to have your freedom. There's a, there's a transaction where you go into the temple and you pay silver and gold to the temple and, and you get a freedom in this life. You've been set free, not by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot or blemish. That is what has set you free. That is who has called you. God himself came and was that lamb. And this community has been formed, not according to the glory of man. If you leave here after church and you drive up the West Coast, I haven't been up there recently, but I imagine you will see the most beautiful grass flowers. With all the rain that we've had, stunning. Some of the most magnificent sights you will see in the world. And the world will tell you, hey, church is insignificant. There's glory over here. There's far more glory in this meeting. There's far more prestige in doing this thing over here. There's far more fun. Hey, just, you know, as soon as the weather warms up, you can be on the beach on a Sunday morning. Drive up the West Coast in March, and what do you see? It's desolate. All those beautiful grass flowers are gone. It's beautiful, it's attractive, it's prestigious. It does not last whatever else is dragging your attention away from your family will not last. Peter wants us to realize there are very, very, very few things that last into eternity. One of the chief of them is our reality that we are brothers and sisters. And whatever else might be pulling your attention away, whatever you might have to give up in order to spend more time with your brothers and sisters, growing in a sincere love, growing according to the soil in which you have been planted, it is worth it because that glory is grass flowers. It is not gonna last. It is gonna fade away. What is gonna last, what is eternal, is your relationship with God and your relationship with your brothers and sisters. We have to grow according to the soil we've been planted in the seed that's been planted in us. We have to grow by plucking out Weeds. This is the fun part of gardening, isn't it? Not that I garden a lot. I remember when I was a kid, we lived on a small holding, and I remember taking a fork and digging out weeds all Saturday morning. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, therefore, because you've been purified for a brotherly love and you're growing in love because of the word that's been planted in you that is worth so much more than any of the glory out there, deal with your weeds. The reality is that each of us has weeds. We all have weeds. And when it comes to relationships, a lot of the weeds are because we tend to default to the world's way of operating. If they're ahead of me, it means I'm behind them. For me to progress means somebody else has to be pulled back. 
And so we operate with malice. Just a, an animosity towards people. Maybe not outright, maybe not in your face. Just cutting them down a little bit. And deceit, where we just want ourselves to look that little bit better than what we actually are in a situation because we're, we're trying to get ahead. We're trying to get that prestige. We want the justification that comes from people esteeming us. And then we add on to that hypocrisy, which means to put on a mask. In a Roman play, they had these big masks and, and exaggerated features, a massive smile or a massive frown or a massive scowl. So that if you were sitting right at the back of the amphitheater, you would know what emotion that actor had because they're portraying it. That's what hypocrisy is. And so we don't let people into our lives and we simply put on the Durbanville face that everything is okay and I've got this and, and everything is waxed and perfect. And we add to that envy. That's the classic, they're ahead of me and so therefore I'm behind them. Never mind that it might be envy of what is simply hypocrisy, right? Envy of the perfect life, the perfect spouse, the perfect children, the perfect job, the perfect spirituality, the perfect gift mix, whatever that might be. And then slander. Oh, we don't often outright tell lies about people, but we do insinuate Hey, I wonder, I wonder why she did that. It's an interesting choice. Hey, why do you think he said that to that person? What, what do you think he meant by that? See, all these things are designed to pull people down because it's operating with a worldly perspective, not understanding that in the kingdom we operate in the surplus of God's love and we operate as brothers and sisters. And when my brother or sister gets ahead, everyone in the family gets ahead. Now, don't hear me wrongly. The elders didn't have a meeting and say, hey, there's this major problem of slander and malice, and so we need to hit it hard. We didn't do that. We're here because Peter's here, and we're here because it actually is a natural tendency in all our hearts. Like I said to you, when I was on the small holding growing up, weeding on Saturday mornings, it's a job that you just have to go back to again and again and again. And so this is just a reminder if you identify with any of those weeds, there's some weeding that has to be done. There's some confession. There's some repentance. There's going to some people. And Peter wants to make sure we get this right before we engage with civil authorities that don't follow Jesus and bosses that don't follow Jesus and even think about spouses that might not follow Jesus as we're going to in the next couple of weeks because if we're not standing arm to arm with our brothers and sisters, we're not gonna stand firm in the midst of that opposition and we're not gonna be able to invite anybody into this family. Because if we're overgrown with weeds and they come and they see the field, they're gonna say, I don't want anything to do with that field. Why would I wanna be part of that family? There's backbiting and slander and malice and hypocrisy and envy. We can't be potent for the mission that God has called us if we haven't dealt with our relationships with one another. And so we have to grow by pulling out the weeds. Fourthly, we have to grow like babies. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I read that, and on one level, I go, it's fairly straightforward what Peter's saying. 
But practically, I've had to dig it a little bit to figure it out. So, so just from a, what is he saying point of view? Well, he's saying there's an experience of God's goodness. And if you lean into that and you seek after that, you will go from being an infant to growing up. The question is, well, what is the spiritual milk, right? What is the experience of God that he's talking about if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good? We're not going to turn there, but that is an allusion to Psalm 34, where David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we know it's not a coincidence, you know, it's not just similar words, because he's going to quote Psalm 34, quite a few lines from it, in the next chapter, chapter 3. And so we know he's thinking about Psalm 34, and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good, David. And Peter says, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you need to long for this pure spiritual milk by which you will grow up. Psalm 34 is a psalm of praise of David. He's been on the run from Saul. He's not yet king. And things are so bad that he's had to go and hide amongst the Philistines. Now remember, he was previously the general of Saul's army, and he defeated the Philistines on numerous occasions. It's not exactly safe territory. And word gets to the king of the Philistines, hey, David is here. And David realizes, I'm, I'm in big trouble. And so he concocts this plan where he pretends to be insane. He pretends to be out of his mind, and rather than killing him, the king of the Philistines goes, well, if he's, if he's that crazy, just send him back to the Israelites. They can deal with his craziness. Okay? That's his plan. And through that, God rescues him. I put it to you that if you're prepared to do a full-on, full-time, pretend-to-be-insane act, you're probably fearing for your life at a fairly high level. It's probably pretty serious if that's the lengths you are going to in order to try to get out of the situation. And you can go read Psalm 34 for yourself. David's relief is palpable. He speaks about how God has rescued him, how he cried out to God and he was delivered. That's the experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The deliverance of God, the redemption of God, the rescue of God. Each one of us who's a follower of Jesus has probably experienced that in multiple ways, but primarily we've experienced it as our sins have been forgiven and we've been reconciled to God. That experience of God's grace sustains us and grows us, but it is not an isolated individual experience of God's grace. We know that because this is flowing out of grow in love for one another. Remember that so at the start of chapter two? Having been purified by obedience to the truth for a brotherly love, love one another with a pure heart because you've been born of the word of God, that unlike the glory of man lost forever, so therefore, because of that, don't do these things, get rid of the weeds, and do this. There's an experience of rescue and redemption and God's love that takes place in community, and that is what grows us. The best way I can explain this is with a practical example. This is from my week this week. Monday morning, I go to have breakfast with somebody, uh, one of the guys that I, I have breakfast with on a kind of regular basis. We try to meet once a month. And I was just, I'd had a couple of rough weekends in a row, not enough rest. I was tired. One of the first things I said to him is, you are not getting the best Gareth this morning. Like, I'm just not at my best this morning. And because we're brothers, there's grace for that. And we were sharing and opening our hearts towards one another and both just wrestling with some stuff. And I said to him, hey, you know what? We both finished our breakfast 
And I think we both have a few minutes. Why don't we pay the bill and we're gonna go take a walk and we're gonna pray together. And so there we are, eight o'clock on a Monday morning, Willowbridge Shopping Center, walking up and down the shopping center. Fortunately, it's pretty quiet at eight o'clock in the morning and we're praying together. And I tasted that the Lord was good. That's the best way I know to explain this. Tasting that the Lord is good in the context of brotherly love. Experiencing the redemption and the rescue of God together. No major breakthrough, no word from heaven explaining the mysteries of life. Praying with and for one another, strengthening one another, pointing one another to Jesus so that we experience his rescue. That's what we need if we're gonna have peace and potency and we're gonna stand firm in a world that is hostile to Jesus. Now, most of the tone of this passage is incredibly positive and uplifting. But do you see how there's just a little bit of a sting right at the end there? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. David said in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter says, this is what you should be doing if indeed you have seen that the Lord is good. It's almost like, hey, hey come on, you've seen it. There needs to be a response now. Have you seen a baby? You give them a bottle of milk. If you try to take that bottle of milk away from them, their eyes will grow very, very big and everything in their body, even if they don't control their limbs yet, will strain towards it and vocally they will let you know that they want that thing you have taken away from them. It is the sustenance that they need. They've tasted it and they desire more of it. And I wonder if Peter might say just to one or two people this morning, if you've tasted it, you need to long for it. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why you're feeling stuck and the reason why you feel like you're not growing is because you're not taking what God has given you. He's given you family. He's given you brothers and sisters. And maybe, just maybe, there's one or two people here this morning, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling like you don't quite connect, you're feeling like you don't quite fit in. And this is a gentle word, it's not a rebuke, it's an encouragement. There is available to you the pure spiritual milk, experiencing the goodness, the rescue, the redemption of God, like David did when his life was under threat, in community with your brothers and sisters. We have to grow as babies. Finally, we have to grow according to the word of God. It's one, one line I skipped over. This word is the good news that was preached to you. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The more you read the Bible, the more you will realize how brilliant the authors of the Bible are. Because Peter's doing two things at once here. He's making the point through the piece of Isaiah 40 that he has quoted that what God has for us in brotherly love, in growing in love, everything he has for us that he's brought us into by his imperishable word is superior to anything of glory in the world because it will fade. He's absolutely making that point. 
But he's saying that what happens in Isaiah 40 is the word that was preached to you that brought you into this family. And if that's the word that was preached to you and brought you into this family, then understanding that will help you understand this family even more. So we're going to flip to Isaiah chapter 40 and see what is this word that was preached to us. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In case you're not aware, that's the ministry of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way of Jesus. That's his voice crying out. The voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, your Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is the ministry of Jesus that is what Jesus accomplishes. That is the word that was spoken to us. That is the word that formed this family. And that ultimately is what we must focus on. There's a mistake we can make when it comes to family. And that is to put all our hope in the family. And I've lifted up a very high view of family this morning because scripture lifts up a very high view of family. But ultimately, even in the family, you will be let down. Just like with your family. And so we look not just to family, not first and foremost to family. We link arms together as family because of the ministry of Jesus, the word that was preached to us. That he comes to bring comfort to his people. That he comes to say your alienation from God is over. This was written to the people of Israel when they were in exile. So it's no surprise why Peter references it. God has come. Here is your God. He is ruling and he is reigning and he has defeated everything that would separate you from the Father. But he comes not just as a conquering king. He comes as a shepherd. He comes to gather us to himself, to call to himself the weak and the broken and the weary and those who've been hurt by community and feel let down, maybe even by people in this church. 
We look to him because he is our ultimate hope. He is the one who will never let us down. And so even if I go on a Monday morning and I have a breakfast and I get into a fight with a brother, which I don't anticipate, but that's okay because my justification, my hope is not in family. It is a beautiful means of grace. It is a necessary means of grace that God supplies to us. He plants us in it. He expects us to grow according to it because it is imperishable, unlike all the glory of the world. And we're gonna yank out the roots and we're gonna understand that we must seek after it because through it comes our spiritual growth to maturity but it is all provided by the good shepherd. And so even when we hurt one another, even when we let each other down, the overriding impetus of this community is that of the good shepherd who comes to gather the weak and the broken and the weary and those who've let others down and those who've been let down and to speak comfort to them. Your iniquity has been dealt with. Everything that would separate you from God has been taken away. Now you can come into my embrace. We're gonna take communion in a moment. Communion is another means of God's grace to us. It is an opportunity for us to physically represent to ourselves his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. We can see it, we can touch it, we can taste it. We can do that together as a family. Sometimes we say that we put a fence around communion, not a physical fence, but a metaphorical fence. And that fence is that communion is for those who are part of the family. Sometimes you have meals or you invite outsiders, and sometimes you have meals that is only for the family. And if you're visiting and you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the family. But this is a family moment. If you're not part of the family, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that this morning. You've heard how for us, he's reconciled us to God. He's inviting you. He's giving you the opportunity to be reconciled to God. You've heard how he's knit us together as a family. God, our father, Jesus, our big brother, who makes the way and shows the way. He's inviting you into this family. He's inviting you into this relationship with the father. He's inviting you into the comfort of knowing everything that would separate you from the creator God has been dealt with. And so I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. Can we just bow our heads you here this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to just ask you, would you just pop up your hand to say, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I want to experience God as my father. I want his comfort and his peace. Just going to take a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the communion table, we come to a table of reconciliation. Reconciliation between us and you, and then the overflow into our lives of reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. Won't you come and just give us a distinct conviction 
if there's anybody that we have wronged. Won't you come and give us a distinct conviction if there's anybody that has anything against us? And if you're feeling that conviction, you need to respond to that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't naturally just get convicted. That's the Word of God and the work of the Spirit. And you need to go and speak to that person with humility and with gentleness and with patience, even if you're the one that's been wronged, because we're brothers and sisters and we get it wrong. You need to move towards forgiveness and reconciliation. Whatever else you might have been convicted of this morning, around brotherly love, around opening your heart to people, whatever, whatever you've been convicted of, there's an opportunity as we come to the table to confess and to seek help from the Spirit to go a different direction, to reorient towards home, pointing others there, to standing firm and locking arms as brothers and sisters.